You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talkback program. Well, since the 1970s carry on Wayward Son, Dust in the Wind became only two from an incredible library of classic rock songs, which came from a band out of Topeka, Kansas. While some of the original members have moved on, Philly Hart is still touring and still drumming for one of the most iconic bands in the history of classic rock, and joins us today via, where the heck are you? Are you in Chicago or something like that? Where are you, man? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're doing, you know, five to six cities a week. No, we're in, we're in Chicago, yeah. We're in Chicago, all right. Yeah, and you're yeah. touring with? Uh, well, we're out with uh, Sticks and Foreigner. Oh, my goodness. So it's, uh, it's uh, if you're a rock fan, this is... Uh, there are a lot of rock songs. If you are a rock fan, that concert is better than Viagra. <laughs> Let me tell well, you. you. You said that. I didn't. <laughs> Flawless sense of timing. Seriously. Uh, you and I sort of hooked up with a, a mutual friend of ours, Larry Ross, publicist for Billy Graham and, uh, and yeah. uh, Rick Warren, uh, yeah. put us together in a conference call. We got chatting, and next thing you know, you're on our show this week. So I'm doing the research in the last couple of days, and I forgot how much I love your music. Oh, and gosh. Well, and those cr- those crazy time signatures that you're able to execute with unbelievable perfection. I mean, you're a walking freak show. <laughs> well, I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> but the inter- I've heard the same about you, but I just don't know you well enough. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the the difference though between you and I, I watched uh, Larry told me about this clip, and my my assistant here uh, he told me about this clip as well. Rick K and the All Nighters do a song called "Sharp Dressed Man" on YouTube, and this drummer is doing all sorts of Virgil Donati upstrokes and yeah. you know behind his head kind of yeah. seizure type moves, <laughs> and, and you are so the opposite of that, but yet a far superior drummer. Well, well, you're you're just very kind. I I don't I don't know that many tricks, but. Uh... I'm sure I could work on some. No, please don't. Okay. Please don't. Right. Let, let's talk about drummers. Uh, Ringo, I think many have said over the years, was very underrated. Would you agree with that or disagree? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would. I, he was very underrated. I mean, uh, I think of, of, you know, especially underrated uh, compared to the other Beatles. And, uh, and of course, you talked to a lot of people that were there during that time, and, you know... Uh, Ringo, you know, took a lot of heat and took a lot of input from the other guys, and uh, um, I, I think what he ended up doing was uh, extreme, extremely admirable, and uh, and uh, was he was such an influence to so many of us back sure, then that sure. were just starting out. Sure. Well, of course, there's Buddy Rich. We talked about Virgil Donati. Uh, yeah. I, I remember taking a friend of mine when I was living in Australia to a James Taylor concert in Sydney, and we sat down the front row. Out comes the band, and my buddy's jaw hit the floor because my buddy's a drummer. Yeah. And out walks Steve Gadd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was pointless for me to bring him to a James Taylor concert because he didn't focus on James Taylor at all. <laughs> yeah, there's so many great drummers out there. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, so uh, proud and, and happy to be a part of, of a of a band that has uh, the music it does. And, uh, you know, four of us went to high school together. None of us have ever uh, taken any lessons or uh, had any training or any schooling in our instruments, so we've just been very fortunate to uh, to be able to fake a lot of people out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, the original the original guys. Well, let's see. The original um, the original five was myself and Rich Williams and Steve Walsh 
and then uh, Robbie Steinhardt and and uh, Dave Hope. That was the original five, and then we added Terry Livgren uh, right before Don Kirshner signed us to our recording deal. So um, that was, and four, like I said, four of us went to Topeka West High School. It really, uh, one of the most confusing uh, biographies that I've ever had to research has been Kansas because of the guys going in and out of the band, and then there's the whole Jesus stuff here. Who were the original Christians? Uh, and and that's, a, that's a, just a <laughs> cheesy... Is that, a, is that a biblical question? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, you mean just in the band? Oh, okay. Who started okay. this whole thing? No, because it, here's the deal. Like, wasn't there another guy who became, like, there was, there was Dave and Carrie, and then you were, but were you, like, some secret Christian guy? Because people didn't write much about you. And, and, then, well, and, and then Carrie's Christian influence on the band, did that drive anyone out? Did Steve Walsh ch- say, forget this, it's too Jesus-y? Well, we don't, we, don't, we don't have enough time to talk oh. about this. I mean, it's a long story. But, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was uh, baptized when I was, uh, you know, nine years old and have been a and have been a uh, Christian my whole life. But Kansas, from the beginning, as a band, we made an agreement. This, Kansas is not going to be a soapbox for anybody's uh, religious or political beliefs. Okay. That was carved in stone. Yeah, until Kerry became a Christian. Well, then then it started causing some problems. and it, and it it's uh, But Kerry was very good about writing, you know, lyrics that were uh, spiritual in nature. I mean, you know... Uh, a lot of the songs that he wrote were uh, always about some sort of transcendental type of thinking that he was into at the time. And uh, but and but when he decided, as, as we all know, I mean, nothing clears a room out if you walk into a crowded room and go, "Hey, let's talk about Jesus." <laughs> I mean, that'll clear the room out in about two seconds. So when so when Kerry became a Christian, he wanted to uh, have uh, Kansas be a, a a Christian band. Well. Uh, not everybody shared those beliefs, so it, it made it very difficult uh, for for the band as a whole to go, well, let's all line up about this, because, uh, you know, two or three of the guys just didn't... Uh, uh, didn't didn't share his beliefs, so right. it, it, it was difficult. You know, Kerry's, he was, from what I understand, he was the type of guy, did he not walk around with a, a, a suitcase filled with uh, sort of books and religious and esoteric <laughs> reading and stuff? No, Kerry was a, you know, he was always searching. He yeah. was always searching uh, through most of the 70s, searching for, you know, a belief system that he could uh, uh, line up with, and, and Christianity uh, was, was what he finally, uh, you know, ended up at. But uh, Kerry was always always reading, and then to this day always reads. He's a very bright guy, a very good guy. Carrie's, you know, a very good friend. And But it was a difficult time for all of us. It really was. One of the most humorous interviews I've ever seen was Carrie and uh, Dave Hope. They were being interviewed on uh, uh, Pat Robertson's show. What's 700, 700 Club. Club. Oh, uh-huh. my goodness. That was like... It was like a fish out of the water experience. It, well, especially when Dave uh, told the guy who was interviewing, it was the, the black guy, I can't remember his name, but he said, uh, yeah, I was I was snorting like uh, $45,000 worth of Coke uh, sort of thing. And you could just hear the producer's sphincters tighten up. But whose idea was this? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay, so how did the label handle all the Jesus stuff? Uh, not well. You know, not well. Well, what we tried to do is just work out things to where maybe Carrie and Dave could have a a uh, side project that they could do a solo thing on the side that would allow them to do uh, their Christian things that they wanted to do, but still keep Kansas going. And it, that just didn't work out for whatever reason. So uh, there, there was just a lot of stress, uh, a lot of uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse going on at the time, as well as all of a sudden the sudden 
in uh, a sudden infusion of Christianity among all the the cocaine and booze and heroin that was going on. And, Man, that sounds like a fun church to go to. <laughs> so you could imagine, you know, uh, sitting on the sidelines and watching a lot of this. It was, it was, uh, it was nuts. Which so, which song, uh, Phil, was would you say was the first sort of obvious Jesus song? Well, uh, it's really hard to say. I mean, you'd have to ask Carrie that. I think there was there was a song we did called Crossfire which is a song that we were actually nominated for a Grammy for Best uh, Inspirational Song. And, and and even though Carrie, you know, never really came out and used, the, you know, the word Jesus in any of the songs, there was a, a lot of he's that were capitalized, you know, or hymns. So it was it was the kind of thing that was heading in that direction, and it was just... Uh, it was just very hard for everybody to pull in the same direction. It's like every you know somebody walking into the room and say, "Okay, let's all be Republicans." Everybody go, well, "Wait a minute," or "Let's all be Democrats," or "Let's all be," you know. Everybody yeah. had their own personal beliefs, and it was uh, it was just very uh, difficult to make that happen. One of our Facebook people in our Drew Marshall Show Facebook group, Al Clarkson, he wrote on our Facebook page, "Ask how Kerry is doing after his stroke last year." Oh. Well, that's nice then to ask. Yeah, I just saw Kerry a couple months ago, had lunch with uh, he and his wife, and he's doing very well. The, the stroke was fairly catastrophic, and Kerry uh, uh, is speaking well now and can uh, walk. Uh, he still hasn't retained uh, full use of his uh, right arm and right hand. Uh, and he's not sure if he'll ever play guitar again. Mm. Uh, he can play keyboards, but uh, guitar is a little bit... Uh, a bit of a challenge for him, so uh, he's doing well. Okay, like I was listening to Song for America the other day, and I was—I had no idea how similar the sounds were between Kansas and the Dixie Dregs. Oh, okay. Well, boy, that's a major compliment. Well, Thank I you. mean, especially the song "The Pinnacle." I just—and and of course—that got me thinking about Steve Morse, and Steve Morse yeah. uh, has joined yeah. you guys a number of times. Uh, yeah. the, the guys yeah. talk about another freak show uh, yeah. on the yeah. axe. Unbelievable yeah. talent. Sure. Sure. Is he still with Deep Purple? Is yeah, yeah. Steve's still with Deep Purple and uh, just a, a dear friend uh, to all of us. He did a couple albums with us in the uh, in the 80s and uh, just a great guy. He just appeared with us on our, uh, our DVD, our 35th anniversary DVD we did last year. Nice. And so it was good to see him again. And uh, it's just always like old times with Steve. Great guy. Uh, Journey, Boston, Kansas, yes, foreigner. The main difference between you guys and maybe the others, uh, I, tell me if I got this wrong, it seemed like ego was the enemy for you guys. Uh, ego, you Yeah, say? yeah. Uh, well, I think it is for most bands. Really? Oh, yeah, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. But don't, don't, yeah. You think, don't you think most bands embrace the ego of it? Uh, some do. Some do better than others, you know. some. Uh, but it's, it's, always, uh, it, it's always a fight. You know, and, and trying uh, when unless, unless you just have a a leader, if you have one guy in the band that writes all the songs, does everything, and everybody else is a sideman, yeah. And there are a number of bands like that. Uh, then it it runs uh, much better. But even that's uh, no guarantee. Well, no, I mean, I would say Boston would be fairly similar to the, what you yeah. just described there. Yeah, but they sure had their. Problems. They have had their problems, yeah. You know, but even at its peak, Kansas was like, I mean, it was like the best hockey team. No real sort of instantly recognizable stars. None. 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 Right. No, you're right, and we we kind of enjoyed that, and we still do to this day. You know, we can pretty much go anywhere and do anything without anybody really bothering us. I have that same uh, thing happen yeah. to me, but well, except for airport security, they... <laughs> yeah, you're right. And you know what? I just found out I'm allergic to latex. Okay, 
can you can you recall the lightning story and what happened to poor Robbie? Do you remember that? Yeah, uh, Kiss had a, had a uh, actually it was a static electricity lightning machine, and Kiss used this big lightning machine to shoot lightning bolts around the uh, on stage or whatever. So we had this song called Lightning's Hand that came off Point of No Return. So we got their lightning machine and set it up behind the uh, stage right above my head. And you had to wear this chain mail type of glove that Robbie would wear. And when the lightning bolt would come out, it'd go straight to that chain mail type of uh, sleeve or glove that he had. And so the first time we, we tried it at rehearsal, the thing was all cranked up. And he goes, I command the lightning's hand. And this um, uh, lightning bolt comes flying out of the lightning machine and hits his chain mail hand and is, is supposed to absorb it well it bounces off the the glove and hits him right in the nose <laughs> and of course his hair sticks you know goes straight up on it and knocks him on his butt you know and i was like well we won't be using that no. plus it, it blew out all the speakers in our pa oh. because it had such a kind of a sonic boom to it and we thought okay the guys in kiss uh, old, old gene didn't tell us about that one, no you know? yeah that was a little practical joke they played yeah, you know? uh, yeah they were on the side uh about you know that. who I'd love to see use that uh, that lightning thing? The sta- Benny Hinn. That would be a great uh, addition to his act. <laughs> I think it would be hilarious. Wow. I like that. I like- <laughs> it would. Hey, uh, Phil, did you ever share the, sh- the stage with uh, Joe Cocker and uh, Jim Morrison? Uh, yes. Uh, both those artists, yes. Was, was that down in, in New Orleans, was it? That Some- was in uh, New Orleans. We opened for Joe Cocker uh, his first tour uh, to the United States, and then... Uh, uh, Jim Morrison actually jammed with us at a club in New Orleans, and then uh, we actually played uh, with the Doors at the warehouse and performed, uh, opened for them, and, and then did their last song with them, jammed with them on their last song, and then he died two weeks later, so we were the last band that ever played wow. with the Doors. You didn't use that static thing on stage with him there, did you? No, we didn't. No, okay. We could not afford that at the time. <laughs> Not as an opening band. No. Um, of all the people that have fawned over you over the years, those front row sort of celebrity ticket getters <laughs> that, that end up coming backstage and you're sitting there going, I cannot believe I'm meeting you. This is so cool. Yeah. Who? Uh, I think the, the first guy that really discovered Kansas that had that kind of impact was uh, Chevy Chase. Really? Yeah, of all people. Yeah. Uh, we were playing the uh, forum in uh, L.A. and... Uh, our road manager said, uh, guess who's here? And I go, oh, I have no idea. And he goes, Chevy Chase. He wants to come back and say hi. So he came back, and uh, he was um, very nice. And I had the chance to hang with him uh, over the years, played tennis with him and things like that. Very nice guy. And uh, But he, he was really the first and probably the last. We really don't draw a lot of the Hollywood types. But uh, being from Kansas, nobody really wants to you know, associate with no. us, but uh, we're not really the coolest band to hang with, but, uh, <laughs> but he did, I mean, and good for him, and uh, he uh, was really the first and probably the last. To quote maybe the speech from Child of Innocence, who says you can't rock when you're 52, you're turning 60 next year. Uh, I already am. Oh, you just you just turned 60, okay. Yes, so did I that... Am now, I am now 60, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I just thought I'd bring that up. Well, no, it's great, thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Does, does that does, does that mess with your head at all? Because there's certain numbers that guys hit. Oh, are you kidding? We were hitting those numbers in our 30s, Drew. I mean, you know, we were, you know, we were going. God, we've been doing this for 10 years now. Yeah. And then in our 40s, we're going. Well, God, we've been doing this for 20 years now, 30 years, and and you know, last year was our you know 35th anniversary. So so yeah, we've been. But now we're over it. I mean, you know, 
you know, shares out outlasting everybody. I mean, you know, she she's only had like eleven farewell tours, and and she's still going. And you know, uh, there's, there's guys there's guys older than us that are still out there knocking it down and doing it. So uh, that question's kind of kind of disappeared now. I mean, it uh, kind of hit all the all the bands of our uh, genre about ten years ago, but now everybody's just kind of you know the Stones or if the Stones are still doing it, you know Kansas can still do it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. On the line with Phil Ehart, who is, of course, a founding member of Kansas, drummer, uh, moved around a lot as a kid, Air Force kid, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, Air Force brat, yeah. yeah. Left high school, started the band, and you really, you've never had a real job since. Never. I've ne- well, I've never had a real job ever. What does that? Do? How does that shape you? I mean, you'd think there would no, no, seriously, because you'd think. That's a good question. Because there'd be, I would, I would imagine, sort of a silver spoon syndrome or a bit of. I mean, I guess the Jesus stuff obviously has a has had a major impact. Well, you'd hope it had a major impact in your life, and it, maybe if it wasn't for the Jesus stuff, you'd be a snot nosed jerk or something, <laughs> having never had a real job in your life. Well, you know, it, it's not a silver spoon thing. It's more like uh, three years of my life I lived on a dollar a day. You know, it's one of those things that we all lived in a band house. We had a school bus that was gutted, took all the seats out of it, and that's what we, you know, hauled our gear around. And we'd play for about 100 to 150 bucks a night total, you know, for six guys driving around uh, the state of Kansas in a, in a school bus, and uh, and each guy got a dollar a day. That's what we got, wow. and the rest of the money went to pay for our school bus or gas or, you know, electricity in the house and. And so it's, uh, you know, when, when bands nowadays, you know, play 30 dates and go, yeah, I'm really tired, you know, it's like, uh, hey, suck, suck you know, it, up, it, princess. it could be a lot worse, yeah. you know, so <laughs> it's, uh, so yeah, it, it's, you know, it's dedication to a art form, which anybody that's going to dedicate their life to something like that is going to have to pay the dues, so. But Phil, I mean, a dollar a day for you is a little different than a dollar a day for someone like Jim Morrison, because if I, <laughs> if I understand things correctly, you did not waste your money on, on uh, booze. No. No, the, the guys that smoke cigarettes had it rough. You know, because half of it went to cigarettes. Okay, now i got 50 cents to eat, you know. Now what am I going to do? So. But you were clean. Like, you were just a squeaky clean Pat Boone type for your whole life, were you? Like, you never got into the booze or the drugs or, or no. messing around with your groupies no. or whatever? No, never did. Never did. Why? Well, as I, as I found out eventually, my mom was praying for me. And it was one of those things that, you know, through the 70s and 80s and you know, it's one of those things. I, 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 I it, w- it wasn't like I put myself on a pedestal. It wasn't. I never looked down at the other guys. I just chose not to drink. I chose not to smoke cigarettes or do drugs or anything. And over the years, you know, it was always one of those things. I, I wasn't quite sure why I chose that. I mean, it was a good question, and I, I guess I thought, well, you know, I've got you know Jesus in my life, and. Well, I kind of had Jesus in my life through the 70s and 80s. I mean, it wasn't like, uh, uh, you know, I was perfect by any means, but I, but those things I chose not to do. And, and eventually my wife mentioned it to my mom one day, and she goes, well, you know, I, I, you know she said, I, I knew Phil would choose not to do that, but I always prayed for his, his friends. I always, pr- I always prayed that, you know, his peers and the guys around him wouldn't entice him. And when my wife told me that, I went, Oh my gosh, over all those years, there was never one time anybody in the band ever offered me a joint, um, you know, do a line, a drink, or anything. Wow. And so that, that's where a lot of that came from. Even Hope? All of it, actually. You even Hopi? Hopi didn't do that at all? Dave? Yeah. No. Man. No, no. That's did. just crazy. Isn't that where, like, you know, the prayers of a, of a mother, you yeah. know? She was, uh, of course, I never knew that was going on. 
So I'm thinking, yeah, I, I can, you know, I'm really strong. I can stand. I was thinking it was me, like an idiot, and in reality, it was my mom that was uh, praying for me. So, uh, but Nacy, here's the problem, though: you can't get baptized because you don't have a testimony. <laughs> well, I told you that when you talked to me yesterday. I said I, I don't have. Uh, you know, I don't have any lightning bolt stories other than the lightning yeah, story, yeah, but, yeah. you know, I don't, uh, I've just uh, been pretty boring. But but the, the good news is, is I'm now the band historian. I'm the only one that can remember it. <laughs> you know, so the guys are asking me all the time, we played here before? <laughs> I'm going, yes, we played here twice. Oh, we sold it out both times. That is too funny. Oh, man, funny. I'm glad you're still around because I wouldn't remember otherwise. <laughs> too funny. The sad commentary on this, and you know, you know, you and I spoke briefly about this earlier this week. But yeah. uh, you get someone who who lives the faithful life, and they've you know they 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 didn't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do, or whatever the deal is, and they live this great faithful life, and then they blow it once, and they get absolutely blackballed by the church community, mm. and and yet we we heroize those who were living an absolute skanky lifestyle. Sure. Who then have this story of turnaround, and it's now victory only language twenty four seven. Sure. And I, I don't know. There's a, there's a weird math there. Uh, yeah. Well, that's because we're human beings, you know. It's uh, it it. You're correct. You're correct, especially in the entertainment industry. Oh. I mean, you know, if if you don't have uh, tolerance <laughs> in this business, it's uh, you know, you, you really have a have to have a love for what you do because it's so difficult, and you're being judged and reviewed and critiqued, you know, all the time, unlike most people's jobs. You know, you go to work uh, each day. You're not, you know, how you perform is not printed in the newspaper or is not on uh, YouTube, right. you know. So it's uh, it's uh, it's a very difficult lifestyle, and it's something that uh, it's not for everyone. I mean, that's that's the main thing. So many people see their, their dreams. You know, if I could just be a... In a rock band, if I could just be a famous musician or something, well, it it, it eats up and spits out a lot of people, and it's. Uh, um, it, it, I think one of the things we had going for us uh, is that we all did go to high school together, and that we were from a small town, and our expectations were never to be rock stars, but to be successful musicians. And there's a big difference between those two things. And we would play with rock stars and other bands and see them and just go, God, what idiots, you know. And, and it's uh, because we that wasn't our our hopes and dreams to be a rock star, but for the band to be successful. And and so people always say, well, man, you're a rock star. Well, I'm a successful musician. There's a big difference. There is a big difference. And being a rock star, I think, brings in the drinking. It brings in the infidelities. It brings in the drugs. and you know, living that type of lifestyle, and that was prevalent, you know, in Kansas's uh, career too. But um, it, it's uh, we, we were all we were all very hard on each other, and we would call each other out on the carpet if things weren't going right, and and uh, we watched over each other. It was a family. We watched over each other closely, you know, and and it's uh, and we still do. Yeah, we still do. So it's uh, it's a it's a never ending war that's for sure even after 35 years but uh, we're happy to happy to be here very proud of the music phil ehart of course founding member of kansas on the line with us uh, phil thank god for your mom um, <laughs> but but i, I want to read to you this this album is dedicated to two loved ones who are now with the lord howard ehart and uh -huh. dan dehan yeah. to know them was to love and respect them for their devotion to god family and their fellow man they will be missed yeah losing your dad hardest loss you've had Oh, um, sure, sure, I, yes, yes, definitely. And what was difficult about it is he was dying while I was making that, that record. Uh, 
So I would do the tracks in Los Angeles and then drive down to San Diego where he was in the Naval Hospital down there and, you know, sit by the bed and then the next morning get up, drive back to L.A., play a drum track, get back in the car, drive back down. And so, yeah, it was, uh, but, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do. And so it was uh, a difficult time, but sure, everybody has family loss and has to deal with it in their in their own way. But my dad was always, and my mom were always very supportive of what I did. And and uh, my dad being a, a career military officer, as well as my brother being a career military officer, then there was me, you know. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was like, what, what happened to Junior, you know? It's like, uh, gosh, here we've got all these military, you know, accolades in our family. And then there's Phil driving down the street in a school bus, you know, going off to Dodge City to play a rodeo. You know, what is he thinking? So, uh, so yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, a lot of support there, a lot of support. You and Lori have one or two children? Uh, we have two, uh, Noah, who's 12, yes. and Avery, who is 7. Noah's autism, is that something you're very public about, or you spoken uh, regular, or is it very private to you? Oh, no, well, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I've stepped out a couple times, and uh, have you know spoken about it? Sure, it's it's a fact of life. It's not anything that we hide, and we, we try to be somewhat active in the autism community and in uh, getting the word out. And and uh, I probably spend you know once a month I'm talking to another family member or or someone who is uh, another drummer who has a child with autism. You know, it's uh, it's mainly talking people down from the ledge. You know, when the, when the child gets uh, diagnosed, right. you talk to them and try to witness to them and try to let them know it's not the end of the world, you know, and it's, uh, it's a tough road to hoe, definitely. Well, and speaking of road, you being on the road while you have Noah at home, I mean, obviously you married up. <laughs> well, way out of my league. <laughs> way out of my league. Anybody that sees my wife goes, what? <laughs> We, we we were just overseas in uh, we were in Europe playing with a band called Status Quo and the leader of the band called me one one day said uh, Phil can I ask you a question he's he's British he goes uh, do you realize how much out of your league you married <laughs> I said I said well yeah I could have told you that so uh, no very fortunate to have uh, Laurie as a as a partner in, in this life very much best thing that ever happened to me what's the love story I love the love stories tell me how you how y'all met we met at a record company. And believe it or not, um, uh, we were. It was in Atlanta at Intersound. Uh, they were a distribution company. We had a DHS uh, coming out, and uh, I was there meeting with the president. And we were in a glass uh, conference room, and I was looking at him, talking to him. And this vision walked behind him outside of the uh, uh, the conference room, and I went, "Oh my gosh!" Who was he? he goes, "That must be Laurie." You must be. And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, the good news is she's a graphic designer, and she's the one that will be." sitting with you for the next two or three days doing your album cover. Now. And you're like, bummer. I'm going, God, that really sucks. I, <laughs> yeah. said, I said, that's a drag because it's going to take about three weeks to get the album cover done. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was great. Uh, she's from the Midwest and had never been married and no kids. And the best thing is she had no clue as to who Kansas was, and nor did she care. So I, I thought, okay, this is a good start. Yeah, because you can trust the motives right off the start, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, right off the bat. She, you know, this is Phillies with Kansas. She was, like, shrugging her shoulders, like, who's that? So, And she's from the Midwest, and she didn't even know who we were. Oh, so that's, yeah, cool. that's bad. <laughs> How long have you been married? Uh, 16 years. 
How old's your other child? Uh, Avery, seven. Avery. Our little, our little girl, yes. Uh-huh. Were you concerned about having another child uh, after Noah was diagnosed well, with autism? you have to be. You have about a 10 to 20% chance. If you've had one child with autism, you have a, uh, a chance of 10 to 20%. But the thing is about autism is 75% of the kids with autism are boys. Hmm. which is very weird. So for some reason, girls have uh, are able to uh, not contract the disease as easily as boys. So once we knew that she was a girl, that you know that it was going to be uh, somewhat uh, we're going to be safer. And she's uh, she she's great. She's been perfect and loves her brother and very supportive of him. And uh, but yes, I mean it's a you know it's a terrible epidemic. When when uh, Noah was born, it was one in five hundred kids were uh, diagnosed uh, in the United States with autism. Now it's uh, one in, uh, I think the last one from the CDC was one in 91. What? So what is that all about? You know, one in 91, one in 500 to one in 91. Over what span again? Uh, well, was, that's been about 10 years. Good night. And it keeps going. I mean, Georgia's now one in 60s. Uh, uh, New Jersey is one in, in, in 60s. Yeah. There's some states that are far surpassed one in 91. Nine kids a day in California are diagnosed with autism. Nine a day. Okay, other than conspiracy theory uh, people like Alex Jones blaming the government in some weird testing or something like that, what, what is, has anybody come up with a substantial reason why this is happening? Uh, there's a number of reasons. Uh, environment, the environment, uh, vaccines could be uh, a cause. Um, there's, there's something that's happening to our kids. Uh, that uh, is is causing this. Probably a combination of genetics, a combination of environment, a combination of vaccines. Probably all those things, uh, you know, play into uh, what's happening. You know, when our kids uh, are getting autism, and it's uh, and it's not stopping. It's not stopping. Right. It's getting worse. Right. So it's uh, nobody. Nobody really knows. That that's the bad thing. I mean, there there are some. You know theories, but nobody really knows what causes autism, and of course, there's no cure for it. Yeah. So, so it's it's lifelong. I mean, once you're diagnosed, it's lifelong unless you have a miracle in your life that uh, that you come out of it. And some people have. Well, Phil, uh, I'm not the greatest one to maybe say this because I have trust issues with people and with God, and I just haven't seen a whole lot of shazami kind of miracle stuff in my life. Well, ones that I can flat out yeah. say. So, but anyway, my point behind all this is. I really, really do pray that God uh, does something really amazing in your family uh, well, because I because I, I think at the risk of sounding a little esoteric here, I think God handpicks families of of children who have autism. You but know. I know it can come across as trite and always, oh, you know, a nice sort of condescending pat on the head, at, like at, at at a funeral. You know, people say the wrong things at funerals, right? <laughs> like a funeral. Well, it is kind of like a funeral. It is. It, it is a death knell for a family. You do lose your child. Yeah. You lose them, and you can't. You can't lose them forever. You know, and it's. Uh, it and and uh, but you know, God always has a way of pointing out that. Uh, uh, yeah, you, Noah may be. Uh, um, you know, have autism, but he's not dying of leukemia. Yeah. And I run into those people all the time that, uh, well, you know, I'd give anything. You know, I'd give anything if my kid had autism because he had an aneurysm at six months, and he's been a vegetable his whole life. Wow. You know, so that always kind of puts it in perspective, too, you know. So, so God does have a way of kind of, uh, you know, keeping your head up, that's for sure. All right, just before we say goodbye, the Organization of Christian Musicians. Yes. Uh, wow. 
again, you and I briefly chatted about this. Uh, you're tapping into the underground Jesus people in the biz? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, the Organization of Christian Musicians is a... Uh, it's a it's a website and it right now is a website at uh, the OCM dot org. Uh huh. The OCM dot org. Yes, and it is a it's it's a website that brings people of like talents and like faiths uh, together. I mean, it's it's a website that deals with music and the and the you know Judeo Christian Jesus, and that's uh, that's what it's about. And uh, I've in, been running into people my whole career that have been musicians. Uh, but have not belonged to a church or have not uh, had a chance to really, you know, get out and, and express how they feel about their uh, about their beliefs because what we do for a living kind of keeps us off the radar. So this is a website that people can go, discover new music. Um, uh, we're getting ready to set up our, our whole blog uh, situation there where people can communicate with each other and write about things. And uh, the website's only about, I think, a little less than a year old, and uh, we're growing exponentially every month so i think we're up to four or five hundred members now and it's wow. moving well and uh and i want to clear this up for people this is not a website for those that are in the christian music industry this is totally not that no it is not we are very outspoken that this is not about christian music it is about uh christians who love music if you're a christian and love music then the ocm is a is a is a good website that's that's really what it's about i mean obviously that you know if you're into Christian music, there's nothing wrong with that either. But this is not about uh, gospel music no. or church music. Actually, I think you should put an addendum. To, I, I think you should shun people who are in Christian music from your website. <laughs> Boy, I'm sure glad you say those things and I don't say them. But uh, like maybe we'll give that some thought. Yeah, you, know? you never yeah. know. Run that by Larry, will you? See, see what he says. <laughs> yeah, good PR move. Oh, man. Listen, uh, uh, it's been a blast, Phil. Thank you well, very yeah, much, man. Drew, thank you very much. I, uh, it, it's a real honor to to be on your show and and uh, thanks so much for for uh for talking talking about things i appreciate it uh, the honor's mine phil and where are you off to now where's kansas and, uh, and well we play yeah you know, we play chicago tonight and then we head to atlanta and then from atlanta we head through the south and then uh and then up north again so it, it's going to go for about another three to four weeks fantastic kansasband.com is a place you want to go to and the ocm.org is where you want to go to as well phil thanks yeah. mate thanks drew good luck to you bye-bye all right bye-bye Philly Hart, founding member of Kansas. We'll be right back. I close my eyes Only for a moment and the moment's gone Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca Pass before my eyes a curiosity Dust in the wind Have you ever thought about advertising your organization on the radio, but don't really have the budget for a long-term marketing campaign? Well, what if we gave you a show? The Drew Marshall Show is currently offering an innovative advertising concept for the small business owner or charity. With web stats and listenership at an all-time high, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk show is offering you an opportunity to partner with us one show at a time. Consider sponsoring one show and we'll introduce you to our listening audience for the day. Drew will mention your organization every hour during our four-hour show, including a live phone interview. 
We'll also post your logo and website link on our website for an entire month. If you're thinking about promoting a special event, product, or upcoming sale, or if you just want to test the radio advertising waters without a huge investment, then consider becoming a one-day advertising partner with The Drew Marshall Show. Go to drewmarshall.ca for more details or call Michelle on 519-942-0518. That's 519-942-0518. 